Welcome today to Riverdale Campus. My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine. And we're in our fourth week of this series we're calling Seven Deadly Sins. We're talking about seven common areas of life that all of us face, common areas of of sin that all of us face. But you know, in our culture today, our culture doesn't really talk about sin a lot. So let me just give you a definition of that. When we talk about sin, we mean it's whenever we choose to follow our ways instead of God's ways. Now, we could nuance that a lot, talk about that a lot more, but, but I want you to understand that when we follow our ways, we're acting like we're in charge, we're in control instead of God in our lives. And so sin is defined in reference to God and who He is and what He wants. Sin is not uh, all about people's opinions or our opinions or anybody else's. It's not about the norms of the culture around us. But God has laid out his ways for us in the Bible. And whenever we violate those, whenever we get go on our own way instead of his, then the Bible calls that sin. Now, we're saying seven deadly sins, but really, if you, if you think about it in the Bible, every sin is a deadly sin on, on one level because every sin, the Bible says, leads to spiritual death. In other words, separation from God for eternity. Whenever we sin in any way, a little bit of death enters into our experience and, and it, it, it separates us from God. Now, different sins have different effects on the people around us, but every sin is an offense against a holy, perfect God and, is a, and it goes against his ways um, for our lives. But historically, these seven have been called the, the seven deadly sins. And that's not, that's, the term's not in the Bible like that, but historically these have been understood that way because these are really the most toxic issues of life. And you could argue that, that pretty much every particular sin you could think of falls into one of these seven big categories. And so we're gonna, that's what we've been talking about that today and, and talking about an approach to these, these issues and these ideas, understand what they really are all, all about in our lives. Now, I would just say, as we proceed on this, I want to give you a warning that it's really easy to become judgmental of other people on any of these areas, right? A, you know that from experience, just like I do, that it's so much easier to see these things in somebody else than to see them in ourselves, right? So we want to be really careful and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to put our focus on our own issues and not on other people. And so in honor of Thanksgiving, and as we enter into the Christmas season coming up, we're going to talk about the sin of gluttony, okay? Um, Gluttony, let me give you a definition. We always start with the definition here. Gluttony is an unhealthy obsession over food or drink. That's one of the dictionary definitions. Now, I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's fair. That's applicable in a lot of ways. But you might not feel like you're actually obsessed over food and drink, right? So, So I thought, okay, I don't always feel obsessed. I feel obsessed sometimes about it, but... But here's another definition that might be more applicable or relatable to some of the rest of us, and that's just simply excess in eating or drinking. Excess in eating or drinking. Now, I thought about this during Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) I had been prepping for this message, right? So here comes Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm eating all this great food, you know, and there was a lot of people there, so we had a kind of a buffet style. And I thought about this in particular as they went back again. Right, and 
to, to get some of the things I didn't have room on my plate for the first time, right? So I thought to myself, is it really gluttony if you eat more than you should but less than you want? So I thought, oh, okay, well, probably is because, because really gluttony is not measured in how many servings you have or how many calories you eat, but it's really, you could just say it's an undisciplined use of food, food or drink. Or to put it in a more biblical framework, you could say it's where my relationship with food is not led or directed by the Holy Spirit, but maybe more led by just my internal uh, cravings or my sin, even by my sinful nature. And so the bigger question in this whole topic is not really about the quantity of food, but it's, but it's about what is our whole approach to food in our lives. How do we think about food? How do we, what meaning does food have in our lives? Do we eat to live or do we live to eat, you might say? And so I want to share with you three principles about this, maybe to unpack it a little bit for us. So first of all, I want, I want to start with a positive understanding of food. The Bible has a very positive understanding of food that, that God gave us food for our enjoyment. But he also gave us some boundaries, right? So enjoying food is not a bad thing, right? <clears throat> I have a friend, uh, we were at a conference last weekend and was part of this team and one of the people on the team, she had had COVID in August and she lost her, ta her sense of taste and she still doesn't have it back, right? And so we were going out to dinner as a team and it was sad to see because there was not a single thing on the menu that was appealing to her because she just, nothing tastes good. Nothing tastes right to her. And so we all commiserated with her, like, oh, I'm so, that, that, was a, that was a loss. We recognize that as a loss. You know why? It's because God gave us food for our enjoyment, not just for our nutrition, but for our enjoyment. It's a, it's a blessing from God. In fact, in the Bible, one of the strongest evidences of God's care and his goodness in our lives is that he provides us with food. And so you see in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, he says, go ahead, eat your food with joy, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. You see in the Old Testament, another evidence is that God made provision for people to celebrate. He set up a whole number of annual festivals that spread throughout the whole year that the people were to celebrate his goodness, his provision, his care for them, and all of those involved food in one way or another. And in fact, some of the temple offerings, if you, if you brought an offering to the temple, you brought an animal to the temple to sacrifice it to God, certain of those offerings involved that you got to take that animal after it had been slaughtered on the altar and bring it back to your family and, and eat it as a celebration, as a festival. And, you, you know, you'd probably have to overeat because, you know, you couldn't necessarily preserve all the meat and so forth. So it was a, it was a celebration. God built that into the whole system of worship and sacrifice in the Old Testament. And so along those lines, the Gospels <clears throat> also give us a picture of what Jesus thought about food. Do you remember when the story when Jesus fed the 5,000 that all these people were far from, from any, uh, any town and they were out on the hillsides and, and Jesus re recognized they didn't have any food. He took a, a little bit of food that he had available and he multiplied it and fed all these people. Well, <clears throat> at the end of the story, 
Matthew chapter 14 says they all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So you see, Jesus didn't put these people on a ration. He didn't say, okay, everybody gets like one piece of bread, right? No, he said, it says that they ate as much as they wanted. They ate their fill. He blessed them in that way. Okay, and in fact, Jesus himself was accused of being a glutton. Luke chapter 7, his opponents talked about him. He said, the son of man, that's Jesus. On the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Now, we know Jesus never actually sinned. And so he wasn't really a glutton. He wasn't actually a drunkard. But his critics tried to pin that on him because he was known for enjoying a great meal with ordinary people. And so so he he himself appreciated the benefits of food and everything that, that food means. But, you know, God also gave us boundaries about the use of food. So food is a blessing. That's number one, but it can become a problem when we obsess about it or when we use it to excess, right? So God gave us some boundaries about it. For example, in the Proverbs, it says, do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons, for they are on their way to poverty. Now, that's just one little angle of this. It says a, a gluttonous, carousing lifestyle is a great way to get poor. This is a waste of the stewardship of the resources that God has given you. Now today, we're also more aware of maybe the physical consequences of gluttony. Um, people in our society, a lot, of, a lot of Americans are overweight. And that creates a greater risk of cancer. It creates um, digestive problems, other health kind of problems. It creates an upset in our sleep cycle so you don't get the sleep that you need. Now listen, not everybody who's overweight is a glutton. We know there's more complex issues behind that for many people. But in our culture of food abundance, we have to connect the dots a little bit and say, look, this has got to be some kind of an issue in our society. You know that feeling when your hunger is satisfied and you reach that, just that sweet spot, right? And you've just had enough. That's a good feeling, isn't it? But when you go a little bit beyond that and you, you keep on eating even though your hunger has been satisfied, that doesn't feel so good. You know, physically, you might feel bloated or sluggish or get indigestion. Emotionally, you might start feeling some guilt or shame or, or even self-loathing about your habits and about how you handle food. But the point is that gluttony is not just a physical issue. It, it's not just about having better bodily health, but... Because, you know, by the way, I just wanted to mention this. You can be a glutton without being overweight. You know that? Right? So it's not necessarily just about physical bodily health. But at the root of it, it's a, a spiritual, emotional issue. And so let, let me show you what I mean in our second point. So first of all, you want, I want you to understand that, that food is a good thing. It's a blessing from God. God puts boundaries on it. But when we, in our practice of eating, sometimes gluttony becomes this, fa- this false pathway to comfort where we start using food and drink to satisfy a deeper craving in all of us. So we invest food with more significance than it actually has, and food begins to displace the role of of God, of the Holy Spirit, in our lives. So think about our culture. Our culture 
makes it really hard not to slip into gluttony, right? Because we have access to this abundance of incredible, delicious food of every kind, right? We could, you could go out to eat at a different restaurant every night, and, you, and for a whole year, you'd probably never go to the same place twice. That's the possibilities that we have in our grocery stores, walking down the aisles. There's bajillion foods there that I've never even tried. And when you go out to a restaurant, you know that the trend has been the last few years is just these gigantic portions of food. You think, I paid for it, I should eat it, you know. Um, and, then, and then fast food and convenience food, you understand that a lot of those recipes are formulated to stimulate a craving in you so that you get hooked on sugar or fat or salt, and so it's hard not to overindulge. Now, I know this from experience because 10 years ago, I was 50 pounds overweight. And, and I had just, over time, bit by bit, I had just not, I just eat whatever I want. And if, it, if, it, if I enjoyed it, it, it was yummy, I'd stuff it in my face, you know? And um, over time, I, I just kept gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. Now, now that I've lost most of that weight, then the thing is, I still feel the pull of gluttony on my heart. I still feel the pull, the power of that. So <clears throat> during that time, I had to make a lot of decisions to try to resist the temptations of the culture around us. I made a decision not to ever go to a buffet. Well, I, I faltered once in a while, but <laughs> if you think about it, right, the whole premise of an all-you-can-eat restaurant, isn't that really about feeding gluttony? Right? Why else would you go? I had to make a lot of tough choices to resist the pull of food, the pull of our culture and of temptation. But I want you to know it's, it's not just about overcoming the temptations of the culture. Because right today, there's more nutritional information about restaurants and stuff that we've ever had before. There's great apps that can help you to track this stuff and to be aware of it and so forth. There's great, great tips available on how not to overeat or be overweight. But, but I want you to understand, it's not just about what you eat or how much you eat or, or even how you eat it. The point is today that gluttony is not just a physical issue. So I wanted to share this quote with you from the book, this guy's treatment of the seven deadly sins. He said, food is not a neutral thing. And in some complex way, our attitudes to food are all bound up with our spiritual and emotional health. See, people often overeat for, overeat for emotional reasons, right? Boredom, anxiety, depression, stress. I read as I was reading up on this topic, I read that, that chronic stress in our lives re releases a, a chemical in our bodies called cortisol. And I did not know this, but cortisol increases your appetite. So stress, it's a natural a thing to want to eat more. Sometimes we eat more when we're in a hurry or we're distracted and it's just easy. You know, we, we eat thoughtlessly. Now, let me tell you about my week. My week's been pretty stressful this week. We just got back from traveling. We traveled like 11 days and, and part of that was visiting family. So you know that's a great thing, but you know it's also stressful. And then we got back. There was a boat, both of us had a pile of work to catch up on because nobody was doing our job while we were gone. And so we just got this huge, overwhelming work. And then, and then in the middle of that, we've been remodeling our house. And so our, our physical environment is total chaos. And 
the furniture's in all of the wrong rooms and, and everything else. And then we both work at home. And so, so it's really chaotic where I'm, I'm trying to set up my office in the kitchen counter. And, and so it's been a stressful week for, for both of us. And I want to tell you, I felt that. Man, I just felt that really strongly. I felt the pull of food as an escape from the stress, and I just wanted to go get a big giant bag of peanut M&Ms and sit in a quiet place where nobody could touch me and have a little vacation, right? <clears throat> That's what food does. But what I've learned is that food, a glutton uses food in much the same way that an addict uses drugs. Food becomes a way to escape the feelings that we have about ourselves or the feelings that we have about the situation that we're in. See, there's a reason why they call it comfort food. Because in the short term, tasty food does provide some emotional relief from negative moods or negative emotions. But right from experience, we all know that that's just only, a, ultimately, that's only temporary. Because in the long run, then how we begin to feel about our bodies and how we begin to feel about our habits just adds additional stress and depression to what we're already feeling. And so overeating is more than just a physical issue. It's more even than an emotional issue. There's a spiritual element to it as well. That's why Jesus often used food and hunger as metaphors for something deeper, where the craving for food is ultimately driven beyond our physical hunger. It's ultimately driven by, by a, a spiritual craving where gluttony becomes a misguided attempt to try to satisfy a spiritual hunger with a physical substance. And so Jesus spoke to this in John chapter 6. He said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Now in that context, he's saying that, look, if you eat physical bread then you're going to be physically hungry again before long, right? Eat more than one meal a day. But he says if you eat living bread, the bread that comes down from heaven, he says if you, in other words, if you partake of me, if you, if you invest in me and bring me into your life and build on me, he says, then you'll never be spiritually hungry again. You'll have eternal life. So we'll always need physical food. As long as we're in this world, we'll need to eat another meal. But what we don't need is physical food to help us satisfy a spiritual hunger. So let me give you a couple examples. Think about boredom, for example. When people eat from boredom. I saw an interesting article on this. A research shows the National Institutes of Health. It shows that often when what's going on behind that, what that means is that is that people eat from boredom when, when they don't find meaning in their everyday life experience. And so they eat as a distraction from a ho-hum kind of routine, uninteresting life because the food adds some, some spice, so to speak, right, to, to life. Well, if, if boredom eating is related to ultimate meaning and, and purpose in life, where do we find that ultimate meaning in life? Right? We find it in a relationship with Jesus who gives our lives purpose and significance as we identify with his purpose in our life. 
Or how about the example of stress? We've already said that, that the answer to chronic stress is not food. But what is the answer then? Well, the Bible promises us this, this peace of God through Jesus Christ that comes as we cultivate a relationship with him of prayer and trust and dependence. That's where peace comes from, not from having some more M&Ms. So the Bible makes this connection between food and drink and these deeper issues. It makes it really clear, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we said that gluttony is excess in eating or drinking. So this is a good example of that. But when we drink too much alcohol, what we're doing is we're trying to create what only the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. We're trying to get more courage. We're trying to face a difficult situation and somehow find the, the way to do that. We're trying to feel full and, and joyful and happy in our lives. But again, it, it's not the ultimate way to do that. It's only a temporary approach, and it's actually harmful in the long run to us. By contrast, Galatians 5 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so the Holy Spirit is the source of true joy. The Holy Spirit is the source of the peace that we long for. And he gives us the self-control to eat and drink thoughtfully. So we see, number one, that food's a good thing with boundaries that God has set. We see, number two, that sometimes we'll, we'll take food and try to make it more ultimate. We'll try to find a, a deeper satisfaction, a deeper meaning in our life through food instead of through relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing I want to share with you then, to try to make this practical a little bit more for us, let's talk about how the antidote to gluttony is both fasting and feasting, putting food in the proper place in our lives. So we see gluttony, gluttony is a sin. Why? Because it kind of displaces God and it his place in our life because it goes beyond the, the boundaries that God has set for us. But here's the challenge. Food is a necessity. And so you can't just say, oh, don't eat, right? You can't just set a boundary. I'm not going to eat. That, that doesn't work. That'll work for a few days and you'll die, okay? So, so what's the answer to it? Oddly enough, you, this might be surprising to say, but hear me out. Oddly enough, I think part of the answer is feasting. Feasting in a biblical sense. Because again, God made provision for his people in the Bible to feast. And it was always centered around him and his great saving acts and his great acts of provision for his people, but it always involved food. And so there's a place for the enjoyment of food in a feasting type of a setting. In fact, heaven itself is pictured in terms of a feast. The angel said to me, write this in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. He says, I want to be invited to this great ultimate eternal feast. It's pictured as, as a celebration. You know, we were on our trip a couple weeks ago, we were at a wedding celebration. And there was a lot of great food, and it was a super fun time. And, and so it was really a picture of what God has in store for us and a greater celebration in the future. But it's seen as a feast. And so when we feast the way God has set that up scripturally, then, then we're acknowledging him, and we're rejoicing in his care and in his provision. And so you know what? I'm okay if you overate at Thanksgiving. 
if you were celebrating the goodness of God and giving thanks to him. That's okay. Just remembering that the feasts that God had set up were occasional and they were purposeful and they did not involve a lifestyle of indulgence day in and day out. So when we feast, it helps us to put food in its proper place, the right approach to food. And then the other side of the coin is fasting. Feasting and fasting are, are go, go together as sort of yin and yang, you might say. And fasting is when we voluntarily go without food or drink, primarily without food for a particular time, or without some element of food for a time. So it might be I'm going to go without meat for a time, or I'm go without chocolate for a time, or whatever it might be. Jesus fasted. Jesus expected his disciples to fast. The Apostle Paul fasted. But I want you to understand when we talk about fasting, it's not a lifestyle of continual deprivation. Just like feasting is not a lifestyle of continual indulgence, fasting is not a lifestyle of constant deprivation. That's called asceticism, and that's condemned in the Bible. Because the idea of asceticism is that the more I punish myself and the more deprivation I give to myself, then the more God will think highly of me. And so that's a false and dangerous approach to fasting. But instead, the Bible says at least three things happen when we fast. Let me highlight three things that happen. Number one, when, when, you, when we fast, it quickly exposes how reliant we are on food for more than just physical sustenance. When we fast, it reveals how much food really means to us at every level. And so we see, why are we responding the way we are to, to not eating? And it draws in all these other motives and all these other these soul internal issues. And then the second thing that happens when we fast, it redirects our attention from the physical to the spiritual. And so, for example, Jesus, when he was fasting, that's when he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's focusing from the physical to the spiritual. And then the third thing that happens is that fasting helps break the power of gluttony and helps keep us from being enslaved to overeating. So look at 1 Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul is helping the, the, the Christians in Corinth understand how to live the Christian life. He says, you say... I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So he's, he's responding to their, their freedom in Christ. They're allowed to do anything. And so, yeah, he says, but not everything is great for you. Not everything will, will, uh, should become a mastery to you. And so what it's teaching us is that biblically, there, really there are no foods that are forbidden. But fasting shows us that even good things can gain control in our lives. Even permitted things, even things that are a blessing from God can become, begin to have control in our lives. And so fasting helps us not to be enslaved to those things. And so if you take the practices of feasting and fasting and you put them together, then what you get, they combine to say, I love food, but I love God more. Food is a wonderful blessing from God. But God is the higher, greater, more ultimate blessing himself. So fasting and feasting together can help us to reframe our whole approach toward food 
They can help us learn to find our satisfaction in Jesus when he's really at the center of both of those practices. And more and more, he becomes the center of our eating and our, our habits. And then food and drink become a vehicle not to indulge the sinful nature, but to bring glory to God. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul, he concludes this argument about what you can and cannot do. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The glory of God, to glorify God for his generosity, for his creativity, for his provision to us. To glorify God for giving us new life and for breaking food's spiritual and emotional power over us. And so as we, as we wrap this up this morning, I want to encourage you to do an evaluation. A simple evaluation, this is all it is. It's simply this, is my eating excessive? Think about that. Is my eating excessive? And, you know, you might want to ask someone else who's close to you, who observes how you live your life, what they think about that, okay? To give you some feedback for yourself. And then, then you take your thoughts about that and you bring them into prayerful reflection, you go into God's presence and you open your Bible and you, you wait on God for, to hear from him for his insight on that because I want to find out what my eating and drinking habits reveal about the underlying spiritual and emotional issues in my life that I might not even be aware of. But God can make me aware of them and God can bring healing in those areas. Now, some people have this view of heaven. In fact, I've even used this myself before because I like food, you know. This view of heaven that it's a place where you can eat all you want, right? It's all the best tasting foods, all of your wonderful favorites, and right now your mind is populating your list, right, of what those things are. You can eat all these great foods, and you can eat as much as you want, and you won't get sick, and you won't gain weight. That's heaven, right, to a lot of people. I thought about that because, again, I've used that analogy. I realized that I just pictured heaven as a place where I can be a total glutton without consequences. How about this instead? In light of what we're learning today, let me suggest something different. That maybe heaven is a place where our inner hunger will be cured. Maybe heaven is a place where the things that drive us to excessive eating or drinking will be healed. So there's no more need to eat for comfort. No more need to eat to bury some pain. And what will satisfy us is not endless chocolate or bacon or you fill in the blank, right? But what will satisfy us is that our souls will be fulfilled because we'll be in the presence of Jesus. Will you be there? I hope so. You can be not by being a better person, not by keeping all the religious rules, not by overcoming the seven deadly sins, but you can be there when you entrust your life and your eternity into the hands of Jesus and him alone. You died on the cross to pay for all your sins, for gluttony, for pride, lust, everything else we've been looking at, and everything, in fact, and he rose again from the dead to give you new life, a life of transformation that begins now and extends forever. When you acknowledge your spiritual need, you call out to him to be your solution, 
or your savior, as we would say in traditional language. And really, that's, that's the benefit, really, of studying the seven deadly sins is because they bring us to our knees. And they strip away our self-sufficiency and they show us just how desperately we need what only God can do in our lives. And when I come to that place acknowledging that, I come to the end of myself and I call out to Jesus to be my solution, my savior, and then I turn from running my own life and I give him the steering wheel, then he begins that life-changing work within you. Please come talk to us about that today. If you're not sure what we mean by that, if that's something you long for and desire, please come talk to us about that today. We'd like to share more with you about that. But let me close by speaking to all of us. You know what? We should all fast sometimes. We should all feast sometimes. Because we want to bring our food desires under the direction and control of the Holy Spirit. Even as we enjoy God's gracious and creative provision of good food. So that whether we eat or drink, it's actually all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your abundant provision for us. That you've blessed us with so many good things. And we've appreciated those and enjoyed those this week. And Father, we want, we want our enjoyment of your good, bountiful provision to be led by your Holy Spirit. We want to have your perspective on food and drink, that we can enjoy and celebrate your goodness in our lives, but we can also recognize the limitations and that you'd help us not to turn to physical substances to meet spiritual needs. And so, God, you know what you don't want to say to each one of our lives. As we enter into a time, a season of, of feasting, a season of celebration, Father, we want to enjoy that from you. We also want to ask you to help us to know the boundaries, to help us to reconsider why we ate that other piece of chocolate or why we, we went for that second helping and, and help us to understand what the dynamics are that are going on deeper within our soul so that we can more fully belong to you and more fully reflect you in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.